0: Well, it's good to be here in God's house at Charlotte Baptist Church. Uh, enjoyed all the good singing. My throat is almost give out, but uh, wonderful. And uh, we are back in our Gospel of John sermon series this morning. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15 this morning, Lord willing. I've titled the message, Woman at the Well, part 1. So we're not going to be able to to get through all of this chapter this, this morning. There's just too much here to deal with. But I'm going to look at a few things here in these first 15 verses of John chapter 4. And let's go ahead and read our text. The Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria Then cometh he to a city of Samaria Which is called Sychar Near the parcel of ground That Jacob gave to his son Joseph Now Jacob's well was there Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well And it was about the sixth hour There cometh a woman of Samaria To draw water Jesus saith unto her Give me to drink For his disciples were gone away Unto the city to buy meat then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest me, drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cow? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Help us now as we try to preach. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we finished up chapter 3 last week by looking at uh, five reasons that Christ was greater, greater than John the Baptist, greater than any prophet, greater than any apostle, greater than anyone or anything, And those five things were, just quickly, Christ is greater because he comes from heaven. Christ is greater because he had first-hand knowledge, has first-hand knowledge. Christ is greater because his testimony always agrees with God's. Christ is greater because he receives the full spirit of God and not in measure or limited. And Christ is greater because God has made him sovereign over all. And so, going all the way back to chapter 2, we read that Jesus came to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now we know a few things happened there. He cleansed the temple. He went in there and saw the money changers and turned over the tables and ran them all out of there. Those that were buying and selling there in the temple. And then we saw that in the middle of the night, one came, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. Uh, With concerns about his eternal life. uh, If he would see the kingdom of heaven. And we all know of course. That uh, the most famous verses in the Bible. John 3.16. That Jesus explained to him. That a man must be born again. If he wants to see the kingdom of God. And so uh, all that has went by. Is passed. And that all happened in Jerusalem. Which is in the, the land of Judea. Now. Uh, after that, Jesus stayed in that area of Judea for a while, uh, preaching and ministering and, and healing and doing some things there and baptizing believers. And this is where uh, it picks up in chapter 4, where it picks up from. Now, if you remember, in the very end of chapter 3, uh, people that came to John uh, concerned about Jesus' ministry and what was going on. But let's look at our verses, opening text, John 4 and 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And so he leaves uh, the area of Judea to go back into Galilee, where he did really most of his earthly ministry was from the area of Galilee and all around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, when we were studying in chapter 3, we read where those men came to John the Baptist uh, about these things, about what Jesus was doing. And uh, John 3 and 25 says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, we've talked about this in great length uh, in the last message about uh, what John answered back, his humble answer about, you know, he must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, But John's followers seem to be concerned that Jesus was baptizing more people than John the Baptist was. I mean, he's not known as Jesus the Baptist. Right. <laughs> uh, again, the Bible, though, does tell us uh, the the apostle, the writer, the human penman, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us that it wasn't Jesus who was actually performing the baptisms; it was his disciples that were that was actually doing the physical baptizing of people. And so, while it was concerning to John's disciples that Jesus was doing this, him and his his disciples and. Gaining such a large following That everybody was coming to him You know, they were concerned about it uh, But more so The Jews Now, of course, John the Baptist's followers Were Jews too But the Bible makes a clear distinction Between his disciples and Jews Well, Jews encompasses Those that were sent there To ask John about his ministry Remember, they come to John and say Who are, you, are you the Christ? Are you that prophet? Are you this? Are you that? Uh, and so those, these Jews that are mentioned here, that came, it's said in our opening text back in John 4 and 1, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples of John. So that's part of these Jews that came to spy out on John the Baptist and now are spying on Jesus. And so it would encompass those that the Bible said in John 1 and 19, this is the record of John When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? It also includes the Pharisees, just as it said, and the Sadducees. Because over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Of course, that's John the Baptist saying those words to those Pharisees and Sadducees who came out to see him. And so all of these, these are the Jews the Bible is referring to. It's not referring specifically to John the Baptist's followers or disciples. And so these people were not following John or Jesus as in a disciple, but rather they were spying on their ministries and trying to find some kind of problem with it, something they could go back before the, the some high you know, priest and, and the, uh, the Sanhedrin Council and report on these so that something can be done about these two loudmouths out here, you know, doing all these things, defying what we do, you know, in the temple and, and all the laws and structure we have built. And these guys are completely destroying all that, it seems like. I mean, here, here comes John the Baptist dressed like, you know, a, a homeless person out in the middle of nowhere eating things that most people wouldn't dream of eating. And all these people are following after him. And he's teaching and preaching things that we don't talk about in the temple or the synagogues. And then this Jesus comes along and John claims that he's the one that came to save the world from their sins. So he's claiming to be the Messiah that's being sent. We know that that he's not. That's, That's their thinking. That's the Jews thinking. And so that's the people that's causing problems at this point for Jesus. And that's why Jesus moved out of that area of Judea and into Galilee to escape all that because it was not his time yet. If he had remained there, things would have progressed to the point to where they would have found something to go, you know, report against him. They would have arrested him. They would have put him on trial and, and that was all too soon. It was not his time yet. In fact, Jesus tells people throughout the, the three years of his ministry, it's not, it's not yet my time. It's not my time. And so he would leave from places where things started getting, you know, a little hot. And that's one of these times. Uh, Look at verse 4 back in our opening text, John 4 and 4. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. All right, so there there were three different routes that Jesus could have taken to get to Galilee rather than going through uh, Samaria, well, Samaria being one of the three. Uh, He could have went around an opposite way, which would have been longer, in fact. His travel from Jerusalem to, or the area of Judea, into Samaria is about 35 miles. And so that's about how far he walks, it appears to be, on that first day when he leaves Judea to go to Galilee. But he first has to go through Samaria. It says he must needs go through there. Now, if he must needs, then there's a reason he's got to go there. It wasn't because... It was in the way, uh, you know, on the way, because typically Jews would go around Samaria. They didn't go through Samaria. Uh, it was actually the, the physically the shortest route, but that's not why it went there. Uh, the Jews would, in fact, walk 100 miles out of the way to avoid going into the land of Samaria because they could not stand them. Uh, to the Jews, Samaritans were considered low-down, low-class, worthless dogs. And the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews, actually. Uh, the, the Samaritans were a mixed and mingled bunch of ungodly people. Most of them were. They came out of the northern kingdom. When uh, the Babylonian Empire came down and took into captivity those that were uh, Jews in the northern kingdom, they took them into captivity. Uh, those people, once the, 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 uh, the Assyrians or the, the Babylonians were uh, overtaken, uh, they were left there in that land, and so those people uh, intermarried with Gentiles, uh, Babylonians, Assyrians, uh, and so the the Babylonians invaded that northern kingdom, and they intermarried with the northern Jewish tribes, not the southern kingdom, but the northern tribes they intermarried with, and because of that, they were despised by the Jews in the southern kingdom, and uh, and they despised them back. And so there was a lot of back and forth between these groups of people. And once these were considered Samaritans instead of uh, you know, Jews from, from the northern kingdom, then they were considered second class. And it was like in those days, if you wanted to insult somebody, a, a Jew, you would, you would call them a Samaritan. In fact, that is exactly what the Pharisees did to Jesus uh when he was doing things, performing miracles, and they, they said this about Jesus in John eight and forty eight. It said, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And so that was their way of cutting him down, of trying to make him, you know, less than who he was. It'd be like somebody saying, Brother Byron's a Democrat and a devil Those are fighting words. <laughs> you know <laughs> so for for Jesus to purposely travel through Samaria was actually scandalous. But Jesus had a divine appointment that he had to keep. He must needs go through Samaria. This appointment was with one of those nothing, low down, nobodies, no good for anything, worthless, rejected, sin filled. And it's a woman, a Samaritan woman. And she had no clue that Jesus was coming out to meet with her. I'm glad that Jesus wasn't concerned about the the culture of the day. He wasn't concerned about what people thought or about what people would say or any of these things. Uh, He was only concerned with what the Heavenly Father had sent him to do. And that was, of course, introducing people to him. Uh, And knowing the disciples, uh, the disciples unknowingly understood that Jesus was going there for this purpose. I'm sure they thought this was kind of strange as well, but he's always doing kind of things on his own and going about, you know, uh, kind of off off kilter. But Jesus was simply following the will of the Father, and that's why he must needs go through Samaria. All right, verse 5. It says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So the sixth hour in Jewish time would have been around twelve o'clock noon, or the lunchtime hour. Uh, I'm we're approaching the lunchtime hour here in about an hour and fifteen minutes, but my stomach thinks it's about time now. Um, but like I said, this was about a 35 five mile journey for Jesus walking out there in the desert. Uh, he didn't have the, uh, the luxuries that we have today to, uh, you know, to keep himself cool. He didn't have something with air conditioning. He could roll up the window and, and, and go, uh, you know, uh, so he's weary. And, uh, let me say this, uh, thankful. I'm thankful to God that we have a savior who can identify with us who understands our physical limitations uh, because he was, even though he was fully God, he was also fully man, and he understands us. And he was weary. The Bible says he wearied. He was weary from the travels. Uh, a few years ago, I received an email from a Muslim man. He, for some reason, was listening to my sermons. I don't know if he was trying to find the next jihad you know, to, to go against or whatever he was doing. But he had been listening to my sermons, and he told me there was absolutely no way that Jesus was God, because a God could not get hungry, he could not get thirsty, he couldn't get weak. And so, um, may I say to you today, it's because of all those things that we can rest assured that Jesus is, in fact, God. Because God robed himself in flesh and became a man, manifested himself in man's flesh, form and flesh, and came down here to live among us. And so, look, um, the Muslims cannot accept that. The Jehovah Witnesses cannot accept that. Uh, The Mormons can't accept that. None of these false religions can accept that fact that Jesus himself, in fact, is God in flesh. But the truth is, Jesus is God. And he got hungry, he got tired, he got weary, thirsty, and I'm glad of that. Verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, as, as we said, the... the, the The time that they're in, the sixth hour, is the 12 o'clock noon hour or lunchtime hour. The disciples, as the Bible tells us, had went ahead looking for meat, so they're going to look for a Chick-fil-A. And it was not the normal time when women would usually come out to the well to draw the water that they were going to take home to use for the, the week or the day or the rest of the day or whatever it was. All the other women would come later in the day when it was cooler, not during the very brightest hottest part of the day and out in the heat and so she comes out when nobody else is coming out and probably the the reason for that is because she probably is it's scandalous uh she's uh, one of those women that's probably talked about by everyone because of the kind of life that she lived because of the sins that she had committed because they know what kind of person she is and so she would most likely come out at this time to avoid being around other people and having to hear, deal with the whispering and and you know the looks and all these things. And lo and behold, if if there's not somebody out there, and of the all things, he's a Jewish man. <laughs> she may have even passed by the disciples as they were headed to Chick Fil A that day. I don't know, but she was not popular around town. Uh, and we will find out not not today, but later down in the scripture, we see that she had five husbands. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons that she may have been out there. She was probably known as a homewrecker, maybe the home hometown floozy. Uh, so um, she gets to this well, and there's Jesus sitting there, a Jew of all things. And she's probably thinking, this, this really is not my day. It's not my day. But little does she know that it is, in fact, is her day. It's her day and so Jesus asked her to give him a drink he says give me to drink he didn't ask really he just commanded he told her to he says give me to drink Uh, you talk about tension first of all this is a scandal itself that some Jewish man would come up to some Samaritan woman he doesn't even know and start speaking to her it just wasn't done in that day in culture it it just wasn't done Uh, she was probably trying to keep her distance from him no doubt she saw him sitting there and probably went on the other side of the, of the well to try to you know, get as far away as, as she could. And so this is a very uncomfortable situation that she's in. And uh, it looks like she's ready to go a few rounds with Jesus because of the things that she says to him after he tells her to give, give him a drink. She said, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So again, the culture that they lived in, it was was highly unusual that this would happen. John adds that commentary to the story by reminding us that Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But look how Jesus handles this very uncomfortable situation. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Alright. So that definitely was not the answer that she was looking for. She, the, uh, This was no doubt one of the most bizarre things that she had ever heard said to her in her entire life. She's probably thinking, this guy has been without water too long. He's gone out of his mind and is, is babbling or something. Uh, again she lashes out at him. Look at verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou thy living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank there of himself, and his children and his cattle? In other words, if you, if you look at the Byron translation of this, you babbling idiot. There's well over 100 feet of, of water or deep in here. There's 15 feet of water down at the bottom of it. You don't have anything to dip with, so what in the world are why are you asking me to give you something to drink? I mean, are you out of your mind? Are you do you think you're better than than Jacob or, or or our fathers, you know, before us? What in the world? But you know, one thing's interesting here is this lady knows about her past. She knows about her lineage. She knows that the Samaritans originated from the Jews. And she refers to Jacob being their fathers, and so she understands things about scripture. In fact, she talks more about it later on in, in the in the scripture down through here. We're not going to get to it today, but she's going to refer more to things that uh, only someone that had understood religion had had been taught it and practiced it would know. And so, you know, you need to remember one thing that a lot of people now. This woman wasn't a saved woman, you know. She's going to be. But she's not a saved woman at this time. But there's a lot of people in this world that have actually trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've received him as Savior. They're, they're saved people. But yet they've backslidden. They've gotten out to God's will. And they're doing things out there that normal Christians would not be doing. And so we have a tendency to look at those people and think that they're probably lost or they've never been saved. Or they're not religious or whatever. But this woman is an example of somebody that is religious she does know things about Scripture and, and the, the past and religion and things of God, but yet she doesn't live a life that way. And so we can't always put people in a box saying because they do this or they do that and you know they're living this kind of lifestyle or committing this kind of sin that they're lost. We don't know that for sure. Uh, only God knows a person's heart and whether or not they're saved or not. And so before we go and pass judgment on somebody because of maybe how they look, how they talk, how they you know, do things, we need to first consider that, you know, we were all at one time out of God's will. And you'll be out of God's will. You know, I, I you know, you've got to admit it. From the time you got saved, you can't tell me you've lived a perfect life since you've been saved. I don't know anybody that has. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. And so we need, before we start pointing our fingers and acting better than somebody else or putting somebody in some kind of category and thinking they're one way, we need to remember this. And so this woman has some understanding about the things of God. But Jesus is not going to let her attitude stop him from doing what he set out to do. And I'm glad that he's patient. God is a patient God. He's long-suffering, the Bible tells, tells us. And, uh, you know, I'm not like that. If I'd have been Jesus that day, I might have said, "What? you have got to be the most stupid woman I've ever seen. You know what, lady? Pow! You know? That'd been me, you know? But uh, aren't you glad that the Lord is patient with us and doesn't just lash out at us and isn't fleshly-minded like we are, you know? Uh, So... (coughs) The, the fact is this lady needs to be broken. She doesn't know that yet. She doesn't understand her true problem. you know she's still thinking in a physical sense. she's not got spiritual fear. She's thinking in a physical way because Jesus asked for a drink so she's relaying everything to physical water down in that well and she's not thinking about the living water that wells up from deep inside and uh, but she needs to be broken we can't approach the lord with a haughty spirit with a you know a proud heart a proud mind you can't approach the lord that way people don't come and get saved because they're prideful they come and get saved because they've been broken you were broken before you got saved and realized that you were lost and this lady has to under come to that understanding and so the lord is going to keep on dealing with her being patient with her Speaking to her, improving to her, all things. And so, uh, you know, she's just like we were at one time. To come to Jesus, we've got to first realize that we need him. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now, the way I understand this and by reading this, she's still being um, critical or sarcastic with Jesus at this point. Because he's saying, well, you know, this water that I've got, you know, it'll spring up to everlasting water. You'll never thirst again, all this stuff. She's still thinking this is some kind of fairy tale this guy's you know talking about uh he has gone off the deep end and so she said well okay sir give me some of this water give me the drink of this water so that i don't ever have to come back here again i will never thirst again go ahead lay it on me there and so uh everything that jesus has said to her so far has been unbelievable to her it you know and that's another thing we need to remember when we go out in this world and we witness or we talk about the Lord Jesus and it's somebody that doesn't understand those things, somebody who's never been in church, never been raised the way that we were, you know, to know the things of God, they think the things that we're saying is ridiculous. It's unbelievable. It's a fairy tale. And so we have to understand that. It's not our job to save anybody. Our job is to just be a witness to share the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people's hearts and convince them the need to be saved. And so we don't save them. God does through the Holy Spirit, but uh, we need to understand that They're, our message to them is foolishness. The preaching of the cross to them, you know, the, that are not saved is foolishness. And so we need to remember that. But in her condescending voice, she says, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And so she's not yet broken. She's thinking in the physical sense, not spiritual. Probably assumes Jesus is a little out of his mind. You know, Maybe he escaped from the Jewish loony farm. I don't know. But uh, look, we're not going to have time to go over the rest of this today. I, I know, I just, I'd love to. I'd love to just finish out this chapter, but it's going to take another 45 minutes to an hour. And so we're going to save that for the next time. But uh, we need to remember these things. When you read the Bible and you study it, look at the details around it. Look at the people's attitudes. Look at what Jesus says to them, what they perceive him to be saying, and, and how they you know, speak back to him, and put it in today's situation. What if that's somebody today? What if you met somebody that's completely out of your culture? You know, we could go to some foreign country, uh, somewhere it's not our culture. Uh, One of my preacher friends uh, this past week has been in Israel. And him and his wife was up on the Temple Mount uh, taking selfies, and they began hugging, and and one of the Muslims come running out and say, No, 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 no. So they could not hug on the Temple Mount. And uh, so, you know, the culture's different in a lot of places. We don't understand it. And so we need to under remember those things. It's not just cut and dry, black and white. You can't assume everybody knows what you know or has has experienced the things you've experienced. Yeah, you know, because they've not. Uh, I've I've told this several times. I'll tell it again. But when I pastored another church, and we were going over Christmas music, and uh, you know, I was just um, one of the songs was Silent Night. And uh, there was, you know, a bunch of youth people in the choir, and uh, I said, "Well, we're going to sing Silent Night." I said nobody needs the words to that; everybody knows that. And this guy had never heard it. He didn't. He, he wasn't raised in church. He didn't know what I was talking about. He says, "What do you? I don't know Silent Night." Wow. <laughs> that was really the first time it hit me that things have changed over the years. While this was once considered the Bible Belt. And I believe it's still ranked the number one most Bible-minded city, probably because of Crown College or something, you know, because they've interviewed enough people to claim Knoxville's the most Bible-minded city. I don't believe that. I don't believe it is. I believe Knoxville has gone the way of Atlanta and Memphis and things like that. It's no longer a godly place that we live in. And so there's a lot of people that's coming in in here that uh, doesn't know the things that we know. They're not part of the Bible Belt. And they're bringing in different ideas and, you know, things. Uh, if you see them, I mean, they're having uh, gay parades in Knoxville and putting rainbow flags up and all this stuff. This is not Knox. I mean, it's not the Knoxville I grew up in. Um, you know, back in my day, they would have stomped that out. That would not have happened. But today it is embraced. And so our culture is different. We need to remember it when we talk to people about the Lord, witness to them, and uh, keep that in your mind. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the message. I pray it's been helpful, Lord. Thank you for revealing to us the things in your word that you want us to know. God, help us as we deal with other people and cultures and that we have an understanding heart, God, that we'll be more long-suffering like you are. And God, not our fleshly ways, the way that I am. Lord, I pray that you help us with that. Lord, may we be the best Christian. May we be the best church members. Lord, help us here at Porchlight. God, that we'll always glorify you. And may we always give you the glory and honor and praise for anything that we do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.